If you have that beautiful and wonderful word before you, if you have his word, I'm going to ask you, invite you to open with me to two places this morning, John 16 and Acts 2. John 16 and then Acts chapter 2. This morning we're going to take a one week break from our Foundations series where we have been walking through Matthew 7. We'll continue that next week, but instead we're going to take a break today and, and focus on a foundational doctrine of God. And as I said earlier, today is Pentecost Sunday, the day that Christ poured out His Spirit upon the church 50 days after the resurrection of Jesus. This event happened. So just think about it. It's been 50 days already since Easter. We're already in June. Boy, Time is flying. Um, it's, it's insane to think about. But when we think about Pentecost, Pentecost, God pouring His Spirit, Christ pouring His Spirit upon the church, it was not an accident. It was not an afterthought. It was a divinely planned event by God as He revealed it in the Old Testament and by Christ as He re revealed it in the New Testament. Therefore, on, on Pentecost Sunday, we, we come to the subject of the Holy Spirit. The, the Celtic Christians had a name for the Holy Spirit and they called him on God gloss, which meant the wild goose. Think about that. The Holy Spirit, the wild goose. It makes me think about my, my childhood. My, my childhood experience, my grandmother Strickland um, lived right down a block from um, Arlington Cemetery. So we would gather together, my sister, myself, our two other cousins. We would always walk down to the cemetery by ourselves. They were simpler days um, back then, but we would always go and... Um, there were always geese there. And um, so, of course, being the loving, caring brother and cousin that I was, I would try to figure out which cousin or sister I could get bit by the, the, the geese and how, how close I could get. And, of course, they would begin to hiss. They would run. And, of course, I would scream and run from them. And uh, that was um, basically my childhood in a, in a nutshell summary, me picking on um, running from geese, I, I guess. But just think about just that image. It was maybe not the image that we would come up with, but the wild goose. Um, it's a great image, and it's a terrifying image if you've ever been attacked by one. Um, you have this picture of untamed, unpredictable, yet totally, in a sense, in control, purposeful. Geese are organized. Um, if they get a hold of you, they're powerful. Um, all, of, all of these things. But when we think about this picture of the Holy Spirit, we have been given a gracious responsibility that we can know, experience, and enjoy the Spirit of God. In fact, John Owen, one of the great Puritans, put it like this. I love this. It says, The Bible portrays for us a history of redemption with three major divisions that reveal progressively the three persons of the Trinity. God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. We live in a unique climatic period of redemptive history, the days of the Spirit. Just as Israel of old had a special responsibility to know and honor God as Father in oneness of His nature, just as the people of Palestine had a special responsibility to know and honor Jesus as the Son of God in the days of His flesh, so now we have a special responsibility to know and honor the Holy Spirit. How thankful we should be that we were born, and in case you were wondering, we had no control over that, but that we were born in a day when the fullness of God's nature as three in one, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, has been revealed. And when 
the various ministries of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit have been displayed and have been offered to us for us to, as I said before, to experience and to enjoy. We get to enjoy God as Father and Jesus as as Savior and and the Holy Spirit and, and His work and what He does. So what I want us to do today is I want us to turn our attention to the third person of the Trinity. And there is, there is so much um, confusion. There's so much uh, weirdness sometimes when we think about this. There, there's so much faults when it comes to the Holy Spirit. And I'm not going to even pretend like in 40 minutes or a little less we're going to figure it all out. But I, I pray today that we would lift high the third person of the Trinity and understand our need for the Holy Spirit today. And understand that um, none of the mission that God has given to us as a church will be complete, will be fulfilled apart from the Holy Spirit working in and through his church. So if you're able, I'm going to ask you to stand. And we're going to read John 16 first, just verses 7 through 15, and then turn over and read Acts 2, 1 through 4. So in John 16, we have the words of Jesus. Beginning at verse 7, he says this, Nevertheless, I tell you the truth. It is to your advantage that I go away. For if I do not go away, the helper will not come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you. And when he comes, he will convict the world concerning sin and righteousness and judgment, concerning sin because they do not believe in me, concerning righteousness because I go to the Father and you will see me no longer, concerning judgment because the ruler of this world is judged, I still have many things to say to you, but you cannot bear them now. When the Spirit of truth comes, He will guide you into all truth, for He will not speak on His own authority, but whatever He hears, He will speak, and He will declare to you things that are to come. He will glorify Me, for He will take what is Mine and declare it to you. And the Father... And that the, all that the Father has is mine. Therefore, I said that he will take what is mine and declare it to you. Now, if we can look over at Acts chapter 2. So Jesus had just said, it's to your advantage that I go away. When we come to Acts 1, 11 verses in, Jesus ascends back up into heaven. And now we come to Acts 2, verses 1 through 4. It says this, when the day of Pentecost arrived, they were all together In one place, and suddenly there came from heaven a sound like a mighty rushing wind, and it filled the entire house where they were sitting, and divided tongues as a fire appeared to them and rested on each one of them. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. Let's pray together. Father, we come before you this day, thanking you for Or just your revelation to us of you as the Godhead, Trinity three in one. Lord, how that blows our minds that we can't get to the bottom of of that. We can't get to the bottom of you yet. Such a good thing. Lord, that we have a God that cannot be defined by just a bumper sticker. So much greater than we could ever imagine. But we thank you for revealing yourself. We thank you for the Holy Spirit. We pray today that we would approach him in a way that's worthy of him. That we would approach him and this subject in a way that will bring you glory. And that we would respond to his work, Holy Spirit, your work, and in a way that we need to respond. Or just, just have your way today. Thank you for your word. Thank you for your spirit. In Jesus' name. 
Amen. And you may be seated. So just, just think with me here. When it comes to the Holy Spirit, Christians, we tend to kind of gravitate towards two extremes. So when it comes to the Holy Spirit, we have two extremes. Some pursue um, experiences in the Spirit that are really apart from the Word of God. Uh, some listen for voices. Some, the, the Spirit tells them everything. Like today, I'm not having sweet tea. I'm going to have water because the Spirit has told me I need to have water. And some people, it can kind of be weird um, when you begin to hang out with them because everything is about voices and about signs and, and all, all that, those kind of things. And, and in fact, you might know some of these people who kind of take it to the extreme. Um, their worship might get a little freaky. Um, I, I remember as a, as a teenager, we went to a very charismatic church, and myself and um, my buddy Bill um, was, was sitting right next to me, and in the middle of the service, this woman right in front of us stood up, and she began to speak in things and languages that we had no idea what she was saying. Oh, we know it was loud, but then she began to say something that we did understand, and she said, he's passing through me. The Holy Spirit is passing through me, and we're sitting, I mean... She's here. We're right here. So me and Bill did what only we could do. We both scooted over. And we're like, you know, um, you, you can make your way on to aisle 17. And uh, aisle 16, we're, we're good right now. Um, so it was a little weird. And it was a little, it kind of blew our minds in a, in a sense. But yet, the other extreme, and this is sometimes where, I'm going to be honest, many of us find ourselves is we know and we obey the word of God, yet... We have very little interaction or very little dependence upon the Spirit. Sometimes we, we know who the Holy Spirit is. We know that He floats around in our heart somewhere. But let me just say this. Sometimes we treat the Holy Spirit the same way we treat our gallbladder. And let me just explain that. We know that our gallbladders are in us somewhere. We know that they're necessary for our digestive process, but we really have no interaction with our gallbladder. Um, we, we really, you know, in fact, we really don't understand our need for it unless it begins to go bad. And then we realize, okay, there's a need there in my body for that. But when we think about our gallbladder, the, the work of our gallbladder remains um, invisible to us, undetected by us, even if it's necessary. And sometimes that's how we feel about the the Holy Spirit. We know He's there somewhere. He's floating around in our hearts somewhere. Uh, he exists, but is He really necessary? Um, at what point do we need Him? At what point is He? Do we need to call upon Him? How do we interact with with Him? And so, when we think about this, what I want to do is I want us to unpack unpack today two foundational truths related to the Holy Spirit. Like I said, I'm I'm praying that we would just kind of take on these these truths. In a way that is going to bring honor and glory to God, the, the Spirit, and in a way that's going to challenge us. So the first truth that I, I want us to see is the, the magnificence of the Holy Spirit. The magnificence of the Holy Spirit. Like I said, there are so many misconceptions when it comes to the Holy Spirit. Some view the Holy Spirit like a mystical force. He's just like a force field somewhere. Others understand the Holy Spirit to be an impersonal power. In fact, many in the church, if you were to listen to how you talk about the Holy Spirit, sometimes you refer to the Holy Spirit as a thing or an it. So the Holy Spirit can sometimes in many circles be referred to as an it, as if it's just some kind of being um, that God makes available to us. Yet the question becomes, what does the Bible say about the identity of the Holy Spirit? And the simple, to put it simply, the Bible says the Holy Spirit, get this, is God. The Bible tells us the Holy Spirit is a divine 
person, a personal being with a mind, a will, and emotions. So let's just kind of unpack, let's dive in, and let's dive a little deep today when it comes to the magnificence of the Holy Spirit. I want to show you just two things when it comes to His magnificence. First of all, the Holy Spirit is someone. It is not an it. It is not a thing. The Holy Spirit is someone. The Holy Spirit is a divine person. Why? Because the Word of God declares Him to be so. We just read through John 16, but think about John 14. John 14, Jesus says, I will ask the Father, and He will give you another Helper to be with you forever, the Spirit of Truth. And then He says this, He, being the Spirit, will dwell with you and will be in you. And as we just read in John 16, over and over again, He will guide you. He will not speak of His own authority. He um, hears or, or He will glorify me. He will take what is mine and declare it to you over and over again. He, 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 He. This is a, a picture of personality, a picture of, of a divine person. Another pro approach to this question is to ask what all, almost no one ever asked, which is how do we know that God the Father is a person? How do we know that God the Son is a, is a person? And the answer is that the Bible presents a person as a substance that can be that can do personal and that can do relational things. That can uh, talk, can, can think, can feel, can act, can respond. And someone who does these things in a relationship such as God and humans are considered to be a, a person. And the question becomes, how does the Holy Spirit measure up? How does the Holy Spirit measure up? And I love what the Bible tells us. The Holy Spirit, according to John 14, teaches and reminds us. In John 16, the Holy Spirit speaks to us. In Acts 13, the Spirit of God makes decisions. In Acts 13, the Holy Spirit set aside Paul and Barnabas. In Ephesians 4, the Holy Spirit can be grieved. In Acts 5, the Spirit of God can be lied to. In 1 Corinthians 12, the Spirit of God can give gifts, spiritual gifts. In Romans 8, the Spirit can help us, can intercede for us. The Spirit also has a mind. In Romans 8, the Spirit bears witness to us that we are His. In John 16, again, the, the Spirit bears witness of Christ and glorifies Christ. So think about this. How does the Spirit measure up when it comes to this definition of, of personhood? And this is where we realize that it seems to be very clear. I, I love the words of A.W. Tozer who says, Spell this out in capital letters. The Holy Spirit is a person. He is not enthusiasm. He is not courage. He is not energy. He is not the personification of all good qualities like Jack Frost is the personification of cold weather. Actually, the Holy Spirit is not the personification of anything. He has individuality. He is one being and not another. He has will and intelligence. He has knowledge, sympathy, and ability to love, and to see, and to think. He can hear, speak, desire and rejoice he is a person and it makes a great deal of difference brothers and sisters when we believe that we are being indwelt not by an impersonal being but an, an impersonal being given to us by a distant god but when we believe that we are being indwelt by a person who is in his very essence the love and the presence of god 
We are being indwelt with the one who, who is the love and is the absolute presence of God with us. So the Holy Spirit is someone. He is a person. And guess what? You, don't, you can ignore people, but more than that, people are meant to be known. A person is meant to be known, therefore we can know the Spirit of God. We don't ignore him. We don't treat him as an outsider in the Trinity. He's not the outsider. He's not the it. He is someone to be known by us. But then secondly, the Holy Spirit not, is not just someone. The Holy Spirit is sovereign, meaning he is God. He is God. Again, clearly seen in Scripture. He's declared to be God. In Acts 5, when Peter is having this conversation with Ananias, after Ananias lied, um, to the Holy Spirit, Peter tells him, Ananias, you did not lie to man. You lied to God. So Peter declares in Acts 5 the Holy Spirit to be God. In fact, Scripture also declares the Spirit to be omnipresent. We read at the beginning, Psalm 139, where David said, Where can we go from your Spirit? There's nowhere that we can go from your Spirit, whether heaven or, or the place of death Regardless of where we go, even the most dark place that we know of, even that place of darkness is light to you. We cannot escape your spirit because your spirit is omnipresent. It's everywhere. And then the, in the word of God, the spirit is declared to be all-knowing. 1 Corinthians 2, you have it on the screen. It says, these things God has revealed to us through the Spirit, for the Spirit searches everything, even the depths of God. Who knows a person's thoughts except the Spirit of that person, which is in him? So also no one comprehends the thoughts of God except the Spirit of God. So the Holy Spirit, get this, the Holy Spirit thanks God's thoughts. For the Holy Spirit is the mind of God. Why is it important for you and I to believe in the deity and in the personhood of the Holy Spirit? And this is where I need to tell you this. It is crucial because we cannot honor or, or give him the honor. We cannot give him the respect that he deserves if we do not consider him to be a divine person. In fact, I, I find it very doubtful that a person can be saved if they deny the personhood and deity of the Holy Spirit. In fact, let me tell you why. How in the world can we deny the one who the, the Bible tells us convicts us of sin and draws us to God? How can we deny him and still be saved? I, I, I doubt that that can happen. We are being drawn to God by the eternal third person of the Trinity who was and forever will be God. This is the magnificence of the Spirit of God. This is the one that we are to be left in awe of who He is. So the magnificence which then leads us to the second truth that we're going to unpack, which is the ministry of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is ministering, is working in your life and my life, is working in and through the church. Just think about it. The Holy Spirit inspired, according to 2 Peter 1, holy men of old to write Scripture. Through illumination, the Holy Spirit allows us to understand the Scriptures. The Holy Spirit, according to the Word, um, exalts Christ, convicts us of sin, Calls us to the Savior, effects regeneration in us. At the moment of salvation, the Holy Spirit baptizes every single believer into the body of Christ, seals that believer with 
the Holy Spirit until the final day of redemption. The Spirit of God also cultivates Christian character in our lives, bestows spiritual gifts upon us by which we are able to, to serve God through His church. The Holy Spirit, I love this, the Holy Spirit enlightens and empowers every believer and the church for His purpose. And what is the purpose of the Holy Spirit? Let me tell you, the purpose of the Holy Spirit is to make much of Christ. So if the Holy Spirit, if, if we are letting the Holy Spirit do what the Holy Spirit wants to do, then we will be a church that makes much of Christ, makes much of Him. And just think about the, the ministry of the Holy Spirit as it relates to us. The Holy Spirit's working in us. And this is when it kind of gets a little disconnected like I said because oftentimes I'm going to kind of unpack this in just a second oftentimes we we do a lot on our own and we aren't as a church as a whole we're not as dependent upon the Holy Spirit as we need to be we're not we become a very self-sufficient people in fact it was one theologian who said if if the Holy Spirit if God took his Holy Spirit from the church, most churches would continue on and not even know that the Spirit had left. Is that not a scary indictment? But let's just look at how the Holy Spirit works first. The Holy Spirit's work in the gracious salvation of man. So the Holy Spirit works in saving us. And there, there are at least four ways that Scripture tells us the Holy Spirit works in our salvation. The first is that we are convicted of our sin by the Holy Spirit of God, and we are drawn to God by the Holy Spirit. I know people don't like to be convicted of their sin anymore, but let me just make it very clear to us. God's convicting Spirit is a blessing to us. It's a blessing to us that God loves us so much He does not leave us in our sin. He does not allow us to just um, wallow in our sin and experience the consequences and the wages of our sin, but he draws us to himself through the convicting and drawing power of the Spirit of God. Then we are born again of the Spirit of God. In John 3, Jesus tells us you're born again of the Spirit in this conversation with Nicodemus. Then we're indwelt by the Spirit of God. The Bible says in Romans 8, if you do not have the Spirit, you're not His. So we're indwelt by the Spirit of God. Then we are sealed by the Spirit of God. And Ephesians 1 tells us that. The Holy Spirit seals us. And just let, let me unpack that for just a second. What do you think it means when, when Ephesians 1 tells us that we as believers are sealed by Spirit? And I love this because there are three different ways that the word sealed is used in the New Testament. In Matthew 27, the, the word sealed is used in regards to the tomb of Jesus. When it was sealed and it was, um, guards were put around it to, to guard it. So one meaning of the word sealed is you lock something up and you close it in. The second um, meaning is found in Romans 4. And speaking about um, Abraham's circumcision as a sign and a seal. As a sign and a seal of of righteousness he had by faith. So it shows us that this sealing is a sign of authenticity. And then the third meaning is uh, the word sign is found in Revelation 7, where it says a seal of God was placed upon the forehead of God's servants in order to protect them from the wrath that was coming to the world. So the question becomes, which meaning did Paul have in mind? And here's the beauty. 
Paul had all of them in mind. He had all of them in mind. For we are, please hear this, we are safe and we are secure in God's love and God's power. God sends the Holy Spirit as a preserving seal to lock us in our faith as a protective seal that keeps out destructive forces. The point is, I think this is very clear, God wants us, God wants you today to feel secure and to feel safe in Him. Do you feel safe in Him? Do you feel secure in Him? In fact, I think true love for God can only really grow in the soil of of security. As we are secure in Him, our love for God and His the assurance of his love for us grows in us. We're, we're assured of that. And this is where I want you to see that there is no threat to our, our security in Christ. If you are in Christ, get this, you are in Christ. And you will forever be in Christ. In fact, the Bible says, I don't have time to do this, but I'm going to do it anyway. The Bible says if you're in Christ, it means that Christ is in you. You are in Christ. And then Colossians says that Christ is in God. Meaning, for Satan to get to us, he would have to get through God the Father. If he got through God the Father, he would then face God the Son. If he could somehow get through God the Son, then he would come to us. And if he could somehow open us up, then he would find God the Holy Spirit. And he would have to defeat all of those. And here's the reality, he couldn't defeat one of those. Therefore, we are completely, totally safe and secure. We're safe and secure. Seek your security in Christ alone. He is the only Savior of sinners in the world. And the Spirit of God is not drawing you to some other fountain. The Spirit of God draws you to Christ and to Christ alone. Which leads us to the second picture is the the Spirit's work in the glorious empowering of man. So the Spirit of God is is empowering us. I love Acts chapter 1. It says Jesus is talking to his disciples and says, you shall receive power. And that's a Crazy Greek word, the word power there means dunamis, or it means dynamite. Listen to what Jesus says, you shall receive dynamite power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. But here's the beauty of it. When we think about, if you were to hand me a stick of dynamite and you were to light it, here's what I know. It's, gonna, it's about to blow me to pieces. But the beauty of the gospel is this dynamite power doesn't blow us to pieces, it puts us together. It's a beautiful thing of what happens by the power of God. We're not blown to pieces, brothers and sisters. We are made whole. We are brought together in a way that brings glory. So we are, we are filled with dynamite power. We're filled for a dynamite purpose, which is to exalt the Son of God. I love Acts 4. In Acts 4, it says they, the disciples were together. They prayed. The place that they were in was shaken. They were all filled with the Holy Spirit. They continued to And then it says this, after they were filled with the Holy Spirit, they continued to speak the word of God with boldness. And great, with great power, the apostles gave testimony of the resurrection of Jesus Christ. This is the picture of the power of the Holy Spirit for us to make much of Jesus. If you are not spending your life making much of Jesus, of the resurrection of Christ, then you are not experiencing the fullness of the power of the Holy Spirit that God has designed for you to experience. And this is where we realize that when it comes to this picture of being filled with the Holy Spirit, when it comes to you and I accomplishing or seeing accomplish what God desires um, to accomplish in our lives, it's not going to happen mechanically. It's going to happen organically. And what I mean by that is this. 
Mechanical growth is what happens when you build a building. But I've never seen a contractor go out and take a brick and bury it in the dirt and water it. And the next day he comes and there's a few more bricks that have, and he waters it again. And next thing he knows, a few more bricks. And he keeps watering it. And before long, a building pops up. That's not what happens. No mechanical growth. You have to place one brick on top of another, on top of another, on top of another in order to build something What we're talking about is organic growth where a seed is planted, it is watered, and fruit begins to happen. And Here's the beauty of it, brothers and sisters. God plants the seed of the gospel in us, and through the light of the Spirit and the water of the Spirit, fruit begins to to well up and is produced in us, but it's not to shine a light on us, but to shine a light on, on Christ. Therefore, the answer to our our stagnation and our spiritual growth is not, give me something to do and I'll do it. The answer in our stagnation and our spiritual growth is develop the relationship within, without, with God. This is where we sometimes, where we miss the boat because we are, we, we do very well. We're really good at doing. What we're not always good at is becoming. Becoming what God would have us to become. Allowing him to do what he would desire to do in our lives. So great is our need for the Spirit. That the Word of God commands us to walk by the Spirit. Be filled with the Spirit. Pray in the Spirit. Put to death sin in the Spirit. The thought seems to be that every spiritual discipline that we are called to grow in is impossible for us to do apart from the Spirit of God in us. We have been, brothers and sisters, empowered by the Spirit of God for a purpose. For purpose. The empowering of man for a purpose. Which leads us to the last truth is this. The work of the Spirit of God is and the global mission of Christ. So the work of the mission. So in, in Acts 1, Jesus says, You shall receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. You'll be witnesses of me in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and to the end of the earth. And it is here that we need to remember that the Spirit of God, the Spirit of God has a white-hot passion for the gospel being proclaimed to the ends of the earth. God's overarching purpose from the beginning has been to glorify himself in the whole world. And let me, just, let me just say something I wasn't planning on saying, but I feel like I need to say this. We sometimes as American Christians can sit around and say, I don't understand why we're spending money, why we're doing stuff to take the gospel to other places when we could be doing it here. And first of all, most people who say that aren't doing anything here. They're not doing one thing here. They want everybody else to do it for them. But here's the point. Here's what we miss If brothers and sisters back in the first century had treated Jesus' command like we treat it, we would have never gotten the gospel. Let me say that again. If they would have treated the, the mission like we treat the mission, we would have never gotten it. Because listen, America, we are not God's chosen people. We're not. Israel is God's chosen people. It's it's happened now. I'm not saying God hasn't blessed us in amazing, amazing ways. But the point is someone had to bring the gospel to us. 
And therefore, we are responsible to take the gospel to others. It's from the very beginning of the word. In Numbers and Habakkuk, it says, All the earth shall be filled with the glory of the Lord. In Joshua 4, God brought his people into Canaan. Why? So that all the people of the earth shall know that there is a God. David in Psalm 96 says, Sing to the Lord all the earth. Declare his glory among the nations, his marvelous works among all the nations. Isaiah 49, and speaking about the work of Christ, it says, I will give him as a light to the nations that my salvation shall reach the ends of the earth. And the method is his spirit in us and his spirit in us has a white hot passion for his glory everywhere for his glory to the ends of the earth on february 5th 1984 think about what you were doing then on that day pastor john piper was preaching a message on the holy spirit and in it he declared the following words to his congregation it's kind of long but so good he says more than ever in my life the stark reality of thousands of people groups unreached by a peaceful Western church has been branded on my brain. More and more it troubles my heart. If I love the lost, I will seek to save them from perishing. If I love the glory of God, I will work to overcome the worldwide ignorance and belittling of that glory. The blinders are beginning to fall off my eyes and the bombshells of the unseen war are beginning to explode with terrible brightness all around me. I, I'm coming to see the peacetime mentality that dominates our church as a tactical victory of Satan. The result of a kind of nerve gas from Satan's arsenal of chemical weaponry that gives the soldiers of Christ a kind of religious euphoria and eventually puts them to sleep at the gates of the enemy and makes the church, get this, utterly oblivious to the cries of the POWs behind the wall. Who but Satan could devise a chemical weapon which when spread over the whole church would make them content simply to hold worship services and support groups at the door of Satan's dungeon? Picture the Allied troops landing in Germany, marching victoriously toward the smoke from the ovens of Dachau, and then stopping at the gates, setting up camp, and celebrating while the Gestapo finishes murdering 5,000 Jews behind the gates. Satan is satisfied with all of our religious activity as long as it does not move us to break down those gates to rescue the perishing. Therefore, how can the church awake to a wartime mentality? Is there some way to break the spell? Picture a great army asleep with mighty weapons in their limp hands and armor in their tents. Picture them sleeping in the fields all around one of Satan's strongholds. Suddenly an eyelid blinks, a head lifts and looks around, then another and another. A strange awakening spreads through the field. Muscles are flexed, armor is fitted, swords are sharpened, eyes meet with silent excitement. The light in the commander's tent goes on. The generals gather and the strategy for the attack is laid. What has happened? And here's his answer. The Holy Spirit has begun to move upon the armies of the Lord. 
Awake, O sleeper, and rise from the dead, and Christ shall give you light. Do not be drunk with wine, but be filled with the Spirit. Put on the whole armor of God, and take the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God. Keep alert, and help each other be bold. And then he says this, There is only one power that can break the spell of Satan, that can awaken the armies of the Lord, and that can rout the God of this age, and it is the power of the Holy Spirit. And he is in us, brothers and sisters, for a purpose. He is in us for a purpose. Not to make much of us, not to make much of the First Baptist Church of Ocean Way, but to make much of him. To make much of him. If Here's the, the reality. If we live in this world and we do our job and nobody ever mentions the First Baptist Church of Ocean Way, but they mention the Savior that we serve, then praise God. Amen. Praise be to God. Let me just end today by giving you three mandatory questions concerning the Holy Spirit in us that we, we have to answer. We have to answer today. Question number one is this. Have, have you been born again by the Holy Spirit? Listen to what Jesus said. Jesus said, you must be born again. And how did he say it was going to happen? According to John 3, Jesus said, By the Spirit of God, have you been born again? Has the Spirit of God convicted you of sin? Has the Spirit of God drawn you to the only source of salvation in the world, which is Jesus? Have you turned away from trusting in yourself, trusting in your, your sin, loving your sin? Have you turned away from that and turned in faith to Jesus Christ as Savior and Lord? Have you been born again? Second question is this, are you yielding daily to the Spirit of God? Are you yielding to the Spirit of God? The Bible says be filled with the Spirit. It means yield yourself to the Spirit of God. Here's what I know. If you live your life ignoring every yield sign and every yellow light, you're going to eventually be in trouble. Maybe not with, your, um, with other people, but with your insurance company, you eventually will be. And in the same way, there is a greater power that we need to learn to yield to every day of our lives. Are we yielding to him? And then number three, will you get this in this moment? Obey the spirit of God. Will you in this moment obey the spirit of God? What is he telling you? Maybe there's some today that in this moment, the spirit of God is saying you aren't saved. You haven't been born again. And the spirit of God in this moment is drawing you to Christ. Will you obey? Others of you in this moment the Holy Spirit is bringing you back to things that he called you to do maybe a year ago, maybe even 20 years ago. And you said no. And from that time on, your relationship with him has not been the same. And he's bringing you back to that, saying, will you obey me now? Will you do it now? Others of you, the mission is before you, and people are coming to mind. Will you give yourself to the mission of Christ? Will we obey Holy Spirit, in this moment, oh to God that we will. Oh to God that we will. I'm going to ask you to go ahead and stand up. I'm going to ask Brother Frank and the musicians to come forward, and we are about to enter into a time of invitation and consecration where we say whatever the Spirit is telling us to do, that we would, we would do it. So let us pray together. Oh God, we thank you for your word. We thank you for your Spirit. 
how your spirit attends your word, but even more than that, how your spirit lives in us. Father, I pray today, Lord, for any in this room or any who will be in this room that have never been born again, that today your spirit would convict them of their sin, would convict them, God, that they are apart from you, and that your spirit would draw them to the only source of salvation in this world, would draw them to Jesus. And today that they would call upon the name of the Lord and be saved. Father, I pray for others in this room, brothers and sisters today, that the Holy Spirit is doing something in their lives. The Holy Spirit is speaking to them and convicting them in certain areas in certain ways. I pray that today you would allow them to yield, to obey what the Spirit of God is telling them. So that you may receive the glory that is due your name. God, finish this time. In Jesus' name, amen.